0: Welcome to Act Pod, a podcast show that sheds light on the stories and impact of the social sector. The show is proudly powered by Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation. Let's begin the change. Hello there. You are welcome to yet another insightful uh, episode of Act Pod, our story, our continent. I am Abiodun Owo and as usual I'm going to be your host on today's episode. So, today we're going to be having not just an insightful but exciting conversation with this gentleman that I simply adore what he's doing. I don't know, just hold on, I'm going to (laughs) introduce him to you. He's doing so much awesome work uh, with children in slums. Anyway, don't let me get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tunde Onokoya. He's the convener of Chess in Slums. You're welcome, Tunde.
1: Mm, hello, thank you for having
0: me. Okay, sure. thank you so much. I want to start by saying thank you so, so much for you know, honoring our invitation to come here. I know you're on a very, very busy schedule, but at least you're here. So we'll make use, good use of, of, of the time. So um, our routine is when we have guests in here, we ask about them, and then we delve into what they are doing. So if you could just start with telling us, who is Tunde Onokoya, and how on earth did you conceive ch- Chess in Slums?
1: all right thank you very much um you know i've been writing recently working on a book and it's been interesting because you know when you're writing you have to dig deep into like past events and try to recall them Mm. so i've had a lot of time to reflect on those things and it has been a very humbling experience to see how far this has come from five years ago Mm. and uh, you know um I think for anyone to be able to do anything meaningful, there has to be a personal connection to it. Right. And we can think of it as like a pain point that uh, I understood in depth, right? It was something I was very intimate with. And, uh, you know, it goes, you know, way back to how I grew up, you know, my own backstory. And, you know, we grew up in Ikarudu in a place called the mm-hmm. and it was basically a slum mm-hmm. and uh chess gave me a lifeline and it's a really long story but the summary is I got to learn chess at a really young age it helped mm-hmm. me go to school on scholarship um I got to compete uh, at a professional level and it just it saved me from from the slums right and gave me a way to see the world beyond the confines of my environment that is my own story so five years ago um I made a decision to do the same thing for other children like me, hmm. you know, that live in those slum communities. I mean, I remember at, at the beginning, you know, I just had this idea. And it wasn't like I knew what the end game was. So I knew how, like, teaching church to children in slums was going to save them from poverty or anything. It was just, okay. It was going to give them an identity, right? And when we think about children in poverty, it's easy to just dismiss it as, Oh, they're poor, they don't have money, they have no resources, right? And we now think about helping them by just giving handouts. So I thought about what I could do within my own capacity. I was going to stay with them, right? So it was teach them chess. It might not put food on the table immediately, but it was going to help them develop capacity to think, right? And that is education. That is like giving them some semblance of education. And that is going to be a valuable skill for them one that would continue to stay with them, the ability to think critically for themselves, mm. right? And I just had faith in that idea that if I could teach a child in the slum's chess and they could gain mastery of it, that people would respect them, not or people wouldn't treat them just because of what they look like or their background, but mm. by what they have the ability to do. So that was just the conviction I had, that they were going to have the ability to engage in this intellectual exercise that even some of the smartest people in the world run from. And that was how it started. Uh, I just took a few chess boards. I went back to Gurudu, to a community in Majidu, not too far from where I grew up. Mm. And we started out. So, yes, that was Hmm. the genesis.
0: (laughs) And I think you turned out really well, you know. Um, So that brings me to the fact that, so you work with children in slums. And, you know, the average person would think that children, first of all, in slums, you know, second of all, won't be able to get it. Chess is sort of a complex game. How do you get them to understand this game, actually?
1: So, true, chess is a very complex game. And it's not even just the complexity of, like, learning. Like, there are a lot of even more complex terminologies that you need to be able mm-hmm. to break down. You know, like, if you're teaching maybe the concept of Zizwen Tube, uh, con- concept of, uh, like, prophylaxis, like, how do you teach that to a child who has never even seen the four walls of a classroom? Mm. And that was the first challenge, as you would imagine. Like, how do you communicate this effectively to these children who don't even have any form of education, education that are out of school, yeah. that can't speak basic English? And uh, you'd be amazed. <laughs> the first day that I went and wanted to start the program, that was when I realized that, on my way to, how would I even talk to this kid? I mean, I speak Yoruba <laughs> quite well, yeah. but it was like, how do you teach chess in Yoruba? <laughs> hmm. So I just put out the the chess board. I started by teaching them board coordinates, and I can tell you that in the first one hour that I taught this kids they were able to learn so much more than. And before chess and slums, I had worked in private schools, you know, where I had this chess and schools program. I'd never seen children, anyone learn at that pace before. Mm. And it just made me probe even further. Like, how the children that people don't think too much about? It's easy to just box them in this stereotype that oh, they're good for nothing intellectually. But then, how are they getting these things? And within very short time, then it made me realize something. And a lot of what I got to learn on that day is what drives me. Like, every child has this in its capacity
0: right. to learn. Yes.
1: Every child has it. And if a child is not learning the way you are teaching them, then you must be able to teach them in the way that they can learn. Mm. So that was what I learned, to be able to teach them only in the way that they can learn, the straight slangs, the gesticulations, the mixing it up and everything. And they were able to understand all of those complexity, And mm. in just a few months, they were... We took them out for tournaments and they were beating other kids from other <laughs> rich schools. And So they have the capacity to learn, mm. but somebody has to take a chance on them. Then, so it's just that potential that they have that is unrealized. But if you just give them an opportunity, however basic it is, mm. you'll be astounded by what they can do with it. Mm. And that was how you know, they got to learn chess mm. and learn really well.
0: I must say that you are really doing commendable work with with these children. Really awesome, and I like the idea of dressing them in you know adorable clothing. <laughs> you know, whenever you're having your it's your tournament. programs, either yeah. dressing them in suits or in native attire. I think that's a great one because people think so low of children in slums, and it really shouldn't be shouldn't be that way. You know, I, I follow I follow chess in slums on on particularly on Instagram, mm. and I see that. Um, you're always out there. At what point did you realize that um, I need to create some visibility for Chess and Slums if we're <laughs> going to you know, remain relevant? And how did you go about that?
1: You know, like when we started out, it was a passion project. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I, I knew Zewich about NGOs. Uh, I didn't even know like there was an industry for this. Mm-hmm. It was just a passion project. I thought I had this idea and I wanted to see it come to life. So... I didn't have even, like, the administrative competence to build a structure, to lead. And I used to be a very shy person that would just want to be at the back and not be involved (laughs) in anything. So being just thrown into, like, purpose like this, at first I struggled with it. And the only way I knew how to, like, cope was to run and shy away. Like, I didn't want to do any interviews. I didn't want to put my face out there. Mm-hmm. Project was an anonymous for, like, the first two years. I just, We're just doing it, and I just wanted the, the work that we're doing to lead because I didn't want to be put on the spot where, like, I'll need to talk about it. And the first time I tried, I, if I flopped, you know. I couldn't properly articulate my thoughts and the things we were doing, and I felt really bad about that. But what now pushed me to, like, that journey of self to see that, if I could, like, to be able to do this successfully. Mm -hmm. Because now, you're on a mission to change the lives of so many children. You're using chess as a vehicle. Chess is not the end in itself. It's a means to several ends. And Mm -hmm. those other ends could be maybe them getting education, getting just for the first time that people can see them, not for what they look like, but for what they can become. So the onus is on you to be able to make a compelling case for them. So I knew that that means I have to like work on, my, on myself. Mm-hmm. I had to become the best version of myself right. to be able to speak on behalf of those kids that will never get that opportunity to speak for themselves. And I thought that was a huge responsibility. So I think that was like two years into like the project that I started being more deliberate about, okay, putting the stories out there, getting more visibility. Because if people see that, these children in these slums are showing great aptitude for chess. Mm. And people would feel confident to give them opportunities. So then I started writing for the first time. I didn't know I could write <laughs> so well. And I remember the first story I put out there about one of the girls in our academy. You know, she was she had never been to school before, but she was one of our best players. And uh, someone just saw it. I was like, wow, like... She reminds me so much of my daughter, and her story resonates very strongly with mine. Mm. I would like to sponsor her education from now until she's done university. Well, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And that was how, like, just me putting that story out there helped that girl find a life changing opportunity. So it was like now realizing that you're a superhero with an ability to, with a pen. And whenever you write, you could actually, like, cause something that could change someone else's life. So mm. I wrote about another kid in an academy. I started writing, And the more I wrote about them, the more people would reach out to support their education. Mm, awesome. That was when I knew that, okay, we couldn't just skip this. We're doing something truly phenomenal. And the world needed to hear about it. Mm. So that mm. was how I just became a writer to start okay. sharing the stories. So you
0: discovered <laughs> you know, a lot of other innate talents that you I actually had, have. Yes. You are multi-talented. <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay, so, so in all of this... Um, how how have you harnessed um, technology to help, you know, keep pushing yourself out there?
1: All right, yeah, technology. I mean, social media, clearly. I think the internet, for me, in my opinion, is the greatest invention of mankind, right? Because it really brings, it makes war just one global village. It brings all of us together mm. in a way that was never before thought possible. Mm. And, you know, social media is an expression of, you know, how, you know, Um, the internet connects us so I think um, social media has been very instrumental you know in in the growth of chess and Slums right it started with Facebook Uh, maybe I had when I started I had maybe 10 friends or just a few of my friends I didn't really use social media at all Mm. then the more I started sharing the stories it just started growing and growing and growing and growing then at some point I just stopped you know then I got on Twitter and uh, maybe I had maybe like five hundred followers and it just grew to like almost three hundred thousand and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everybody was just so interested <laughs> in the stories and so social media has been that amplifier for us because you know it's one thing to do great work and not just feel heard or seen. And a lot of people struggle with this. They're doing really good work but they're not seen, they're not hurt. And it can be very um painful mm-hmm. right because you know, you just do this phenomenal things, and you just maybe get one like, and nothing <laughs> and doesn't get any it. visibility. And it's not so, encouraging. so like having the courage to put yourself out there, to put your stories out there, despite the imperfections, is important. And social media has leveraging social media has helped us be able to do that. And you can imagine the amount of traction it has given this cause, not just in Nigeria. In fact, we have more fans outside mm. Nigeria than in Nigeria. We've Mm. gotten more support from, like, people in other countries than actual Mm. Nigerians, right? So so social media, definitely. And another case where we're able to really leverage technology was when COVID happened. Mm. So when COVID happened, we couldn't have, like, physical training sessions with the kids anymore. Like, we had to shut down. So I started thinking about what we could do for them to continue to learn. Then uh, I thought, what if we could get laptops or maybe iPads? At that time, like, there was no money <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so I started sending emails to uh, ChessKid. So ChessKid is the biggest online platform for children in the world. Mm. So they have, you can, children can get to play online, take lessons online, then get to connect with other kids from all over the world. So there are children from China, US that use ChessKid. Oh. So I wanted our kids to, from Ikorodu to also, like, get that opportunity to interact and learn with other children. So I wrote I, I wrote to them, sent an email to a few people. We were able to get like 10 iPads, mm-hmm. you know, from them. Awesome. And so they gave us free gold accounts for the kids to start learning online and start playing. And when we now brought the devices to the kids, I realized that most of them had never even used, <laughs> never seen a laptop before.
0: before. Mm-hmm.
1: And for some reason, it, it didn't just occur to me that there was that gap, you know, where, in a world that was constantly evolving, like these children don't even know how to use these technological devices. So, for the first time, they got to engage the use of technology to play chess. So, I got to teach them other things like how to use YouTube, use Google. Mm. Then, we now organized a virtual match between our kids in the, in the corridor there and the college students at the University of uh, California mm. and given it in a draw. Uh, It was incredible. Even the VC of the UC Merced school, he was impressed. And, you know, we're able to, like, forge a partnership where one of the kids from our academy would get to go to UC Merced on a full ride scholarship.
0: Wow. So
1: so that was another way. So now the kids can get to, like, play online, learn online, not just chess, but, you know, engage in the use of technology, right, Mm -hmm. to learn and to experience the world. Mm. you know, outside their own community. So I think those are the two most valuable ways in which oh, we've been able to use awesome. technology to awesome. try and It's
0: back. amazing how, you know, technology can make the world become a global village, True. so to say. And uh, You know, imagine you're right here in Lagos and then you're reaching out to, you know, outside the shores of Africa and even getting these kids, you know, to be part of such benefits. I think that's an awesome one. Thank you. Uh, so you have mentioned, you know, like one or two. So increasing, creating and increasing visibility for yourself. I think that's one. Mm-hmm. And um, also seeking out partnerships because you didn't have that money and then you didn't stop there. Mm-hmm. You, you, because there are a lot of people with passion like you but once they cannot once they make it all about getting money money then it literally stops there but you went ahead True. to seek partnership okay if i can't get someone to give money can i get someone to give gadgets to give devices and and i think that's really really awesome are there other um strategies you've been using to raise funds for for your program for your project
1: you know fundraising is such a tr- tricky thing because mm. um I mean, if you want to change the world, you need to figure out how to pay for it. Right. And it took me time to learn that because we never raised any money from like 2018 when we started Chess and Slums till 2020. So like between 2018 to 2020, there just been me and a couple of my friends and volunteers. I would just pull our money together to buy boards, to take the kids for tournaments, to give them food after every training. Then a few people would support every now and then. You know. But when we realized that okay, we had something that was deeply impactful and we needed to scale it. Hmm. We knew that we needed more resources. Hmm. And you know, good thing you talked about partnerships and collaboration because um sometimes it's best to not try to reinvent the wheel. You know, you could just leverage like like Trisket platform now. We didn't have to like build our own online platform or anything. Mm-hmm. We could it leverage what they had. Long. Exactly. So so I can remember, like, this was me going from just being a passionate chess coach to now building administrative competence to understand that our structures, partnerships, we need to, like, begin to think about, like, the funding ecosystem, Mm. you know, around the work that we do. So this was the strategy that we had. So I first had to, like, define, like, the five places where the money is. Mm. (laughs) You need money, right, to fund your project. So the first one was... uh, the grant, uh, you know, the grants and aid uh, industry. Um, second one was um, the chess communities around mm. the world. Chess is a global game. So yeah. people in the U.S., they have their chess federation, their chess community. So we could reach out to them for support. Um, uh, I also put, like, corporate, you know, um, the tech startups, you know, major tech startups because I was very, like, invested in, like, technology in, in Africa, mm. right? So a lot of my friends were, like, founders of you know tech companies so tech startups you know the corporate private uh, institutions um, um, then uh, educational institutions because mm-hmm. we're using chess you know as an alternative kind of education for the children so it was like reimagining education for them using chess as a vehicle so what we're doing was contributing to educating children so we can look towards opportunities to forge partnerships and get scholarships for the kids right so we first find all of those pathways. Mm. Then we now started exploring them one by one. And finally, social media crowdfunding. So those mm. are the five okay. pathways. And for us, social media has been the most effective. In fact, we've raised 90% of our funding from just social media. Mm. Right, so we just set up a GoFundMe page. And you don't have to do too much. Just share the details of the work that you do. Mm. And sharing that is understanding that you're not just sharing the technicalities of it. Because people don't necessarily care about the technicalities mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Right. What they care about is the story. Mm-hmm. And the story is what helps them connect to the realities of the children. And you must be careful to not do it in a way that demeans the people you're advocating for. Poor. They call it poverty so point. Try to score like pity points. No, There's mm-hmm. a way to actually tell their story in a way that gives them agency. So we're not saying, oh, see, so this child is poor. No, we never do that. We See, see this child. Despite all of those things, right, this is how they're still sh- striving. And, and this is what they now have the ability to do. And I imagine if you now give them more opportunities. Mm. And that is why we go as far as, like, making, like, from the tournament, you see them wearing suits, them wearing Agbada. Yeah. That is very deliberate because yes. we want them to, we don't want to keep feeding into that narrative of the African child in poverty. We want mm. to change society's perception of our children, like the slum is just a place. It doesn't define people that live they there. Yeah. So being able to like tell our stories like that has gotten us like a lot of traction on social media. So we've raised so much money. Chessing Slums has never gotten any grant. We've never applied for any grant. Mm. And that is also intentional because we want to first work on a model that that is that scalable mm. and that w- where the impact is tangible and can be measured before we start exploring those pathways. But for us, it was that. For other people, you might, you might be a little different, but mm. it's just the same framework. So mm. that, is what is, that is what has helped us. I mean, of course, we are still looking for money. <laughs> but yes. So
0: okay, far. so if you're a donor, you're a funder out there, <laughs> just as <slums>. love. Help us. <laughs> no, but I, I really, really must say that I'm inspired by, you know, all of the things that you have said right now. Even with the... Um, the funding strategies that you have used so there are a lot of people out there you know they have the passion they're running nonprofits, but once they write a grant and it doesn't go through you know they just shrink back so True. you need to come on see Tunde onokoya you know i think you should start <laughs> consulting let me be your manager oh,
1: yeah, yeah so that. you can you know uh, share salary. from
0: your wealth of experience yeah don't worry i'm not expensive you look expensive <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's just, you know, uh, go right into, I I see that you have talked about these kids. I'm so proud of them, even, you know, right from talking about them. Is there one particular kid, you know, you would like to talk about, maybe like share her success story or his success story? I know you have so much impact that you can talk about, but maybe there's one that really strikes that you'd like to share. Here's her story with the world. Hmm
1: have a lot of favorite stories of the kids <laughs> and you know, I feel blessed to have my life filled with so many children. You know, you know, I'm twenty eight but um have lived <laughs> have really like truly lived years yes, and <laughs> my friends call me old soul because mm. you know, I've lived and and a lot of why it feels like that is because I've uh my life is so is filled with so many children. Like mm. on this journey, even, you know, when you want to do a project like this, mm. and the first advice that you'd get from like professionals is that don't be emotionally connected to the work you're about to do because you can't help everyone, right? And if you try to, it drains you. Mm. And something people don't even really speak about is that third person emotional trauma. Mm. Right because you're working in some of the places where you feel poverty in its purest form. Mm. And that can be really really hard. Right? That is why you're solving a hard problem. Mm. A social problem. It's not a problem Apple will solve. Right. So you've chosen to solve it, right? So you must be you must be at least you must find a way to cope to detach, you know, the emotions from being practical and objective. Mm. Okay. But I struggle with that. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. But one of the success stories of the kids is Ferdinand. I think I'd like to share Ferdinand's story. Okay. Uh, okay. for people that have followed the Chess and Slums Project, they've seen, you know, what we did in Oshadia on that bridge, recently in Makola, in Makoko, then in Korudu. And now even Burkina Faso, Kenya, Uganda. We've been to a lot of countries alright, like scaling. But Ferdinand's story would always be special to me for so many reasons. Uh, I remember when we met Ferdinand, it was in Makoko. So we had, like, we had decided to, like, scale up from Ikorodu, where we started, to see what was possible in other places. So we wanted to stage an intervention in Makoko. We mm-hmm. wanted to do something different from what everyone else had always done. So the first challenge in Makoko was the health hazards, the community. It's, it's a slum. It's a floating slum mm-hmm. with, like, black water, sewage, basically. And uh, the children don't even speak. They don't speak English. They didn't even speak my own local Yoruba dialect. They speak, most of them spoke Igbo instead. So there was the language barrier and everything else. But we still wanted to do it regardless to Mm. show that it was possible to do great things from a small place. And we selected all the kids that wanted to train. You know, we ran the pilot phase of the project for a month. We trained them five hours every day. Then have a tournament at the end of it. And Ferdinand did not come on the first day. But the second day he came around. And Ferdinand is ten. But he lives with this medical condition called mm. cerebral palsy. right? Um, for people that don't know, it's it's brain damage, basically, that affects the muscle movement and everything else. So he couldn't go to school. you know. He had to struggle. And other kids in the community would always, they would bully him. They would call him uh, Golugo, which mm. means imbecile. Mm. And he would go home and cry to his mom. He couldn't speak as well. So, but he was only able to communicate with his mom. So he just, you know, sauntered into the training center. And the other kids were pushing him away that, you Mm. know, it was like that community kid that nobody wanted to play with. And I just called him, and uh, I was wearing this shirt, and I just gave it to him. And he was really happy. He smiled. And I tried to, like, talk to him, but he couldn't speak. So I just uh, told our, our photographer to, like, put him in a class so he could just learn so he doesn't feel left out. And the next thing, I think it was the next day, our project manager just came to me and he was crying. He was like, I was like, what's going on? Like, so they come and see something. So he just took me to the table where the boy was was playing. And I think the instructor gave them this very complex geometry to solve. Hmm. And he was the only one that was able to solve it. Wow. And uh, you know, for a boy that doesn't speak, hmm. he realized that he had a sound mind. He was a gifted child. and. Chess became his first language. Like, the, the way he could now express everything that he had in there mm. that he had never been able to share. And it was just, it was it was incredible. So I just said, you know, just keep training him. And, you know, we kept training them. Then at the end of, like, the project, we had a tournament. That was when we made suits for all the kids in Marco. Mm. And I can guess who won that tournament. Ferdinand. Yes, Ferdinand. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so and, awesome. <laughs> it was such... It was such an incredible success story. I was so excited to share it, and mm. it went viral. In fact, for weeks, I was getting thousands of emails from people around the world who had kids, you know, with special needs, and it was so inspiring for them, you know. And the governor of Lagos State saw that and called, and was like, "I would like to play chess against this kid and I took him there." And the game an ended in a draw, although <laughs> the boy was winning. the ball, oh, okay. I, I tell thought, beat, I thought beat the governor. <laughs> but I know it I a governor just went in and gave him a millionaire and uh, wow. you know so they sponsor his education and that of his siblings now oh. and you know Ferdinand's father is a fisherman and his mother you know a petty trader but, mm. but it was clear that you know destiny had just chosen a more glorious path for him um, he will be traveling to Greece uh, next month to, for a tournament uh, <laughs> sponsored <laughs> so by cool. the uh intentional chess tradition president so it's really good wow. and uh netflix would also be making a movie about him so it's just you know it's, it's just such an incredible story of like yeah. triumph of the human spirit and it's a story that inspires me as well and mm. i'm just glad that i got to be a part of that journey imagine if we we'll never went there imagine mm. if we we'll never gave him a chance to just learn Right. just imagine how much different you know his life would be now. So, it's a story that inspires me. It's one of my favorite stories to tell, you know, because it, it reminds me of like who I am and what I can become. So this is like Ferdinand's story of becoming. It doesn't end there, right? Maybe mm. he can even become world champion someday. Mm. You know? So he's in school now. You know, he's still training and. I think the future is really good.
0: Really, really good, good really good. You have no idea how much impact you're, you're having, <laughs> you're making in the world. That is so awesome. I mean, I'm so proud of, you know, you know um, you. the things that you do and, and that you continue to do. This is so wonderful. I wish this conversation wouldn't end, <laughs> but then we have to just round up. Uh, if you could pick on perhaps the biggest challenge that mm-hmm. you've had, you know, as a convener of Chess and Slums and how are you dealing with it?
1: There are a lot of challenges and mm. uh it's it's you know, it's hard, it's really hard and you know, now it's too late to give up. I've contemplated giving up so no, you many can't, times. No, no, no. <laughs> Not with Ferdinand to no, <laughs> But I mean I can't give up obviously because I think now more than ever I see how we're giving so many people hope. Mm. We're actually giving the world one more thing to believe in. And uh, hope is powerful. Mm. You know, money is always a constant challenge because mm. we're trying to do so much, even with little resource. Uh, so, yes, we're looking for money. We want to build an academy. In fact, the vision for Children's Slum is to reach a million children over the next decade across Africa, a million children in slum communities across mm. Africa, because I believe this could be a revolutionary idea to raise a new generation of intellectuals, even from the slums. Mm like just giving them the gift of chess. It's not just a board game. It's an it's it's an amazing educational resource. In most schools in Europe, chess is a part of their curriculum because mm. they see the cognitive benefits and how it enhances critical thinking and that is what is needed for the future of work, right? Mm. Critical thinkers. Right. Yes, children that right. will not just complain about Africa's problem but challenge the status quo and Turn those problems to global opportunities. So that is the vision for chess and slums. Uh, there are a lot of different strategies to like re- codify this model and start replicating in other places. We've been to Uganda, to Kenya, and it's a movement. But we need money to be able to fund that. I want to build an academy, the biggest chess academy in the world, here in Lagos, Nigeria. Mm. So we're really looking for partners to help us, you know, bring the stream, you know, and make it a reality. Um, okay. then for me personally a challenge is just uh i'm too connected to the work that i do and it has made me neglect so many other aspects of my life <laughs> mm. so i'm learning to find imagine. balance and i'm learning to like find balance and uh, so that's it pretty much mm. but
0: okay so so speaking of the fact that you need money mm-hmm. if donors and partners you know are looking for you how would they find you?
1: Yeah, I can send us an email at hello um, at chess and slums Africa. Okay. Um, I I use Twitter a lot because that is where I share a lot of my thoughts and insights. You know, from the project. So you can follow me on Twitter and send me a message Sunday underscore Od, or just follow us across all social media platforms. Chess and Slums Africa on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and uh, on Twitter so or our website so anyone just please look for us <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they will find you i trust they Amen. will find you just look out be on the lookout are you ready as in, are you ready I'm for ready. the bumper harvest I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm
1: ready. <laughs> okay so
0: finally if you had one wish for chess and slums africa what would it be uh,
1: hmm, one wish so if there was like a genie now and i could just rub the lamp and say you have one wish yes what would i ask for <laughs> Uh, don't let me say money again so they won't think oh, <laughs> money is sorted. the only the thing money is coming after you already <laughs> yes i think an academy it's important to have that okay. academy we want to build like a space and this academy would be for like children living in deprived places often street kids you know the reason why i'm wearing this cup is because i'm part-time era boy part-time chess <laughs> coach you know it carries the spirit of what we're able to do for straight kids in you know on that bridge mm. but we want to do more of that but we need like a center where we can bring them in and like reimagine education for them it's important to have that central point you know where we can begin to nurture the next generation of critical thinkers chess is just that one tool but i feel like this project is going to evolve into other things right chess mm. is just one way you know to achieve that goal right so I think that academy, I wish the academy would just, would just have land and it's the come. building would just come and everything is fully <laughs> equipped and it can serve, mm. like, maybe 1,000 children. Mm. That would be a you. dream come true for me. So that's I the one you. wish I have for Chessence yeah. Slums right now.
0: It's a good thing that you've put this out there. And you never mm-hmm. know. It will come into fruition. That's my prayer for, Amen. for you, Chessence for <laughs> Slums. <loves. laughs> I really we have to go now. Thank you so much for coming once again. We really appreciate you um, honouring our invitation. Thank you. For uh, you've heard me. it from Tunde of Chess in Slums Africa. Um, to reach out to them, just look out for Chess in Slums on social media. And this is where it's going to be a wrap for this episode. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Act Pod. For inquiries and feedback, please reach us on actpod at actrustfoundation.org. Follow us on social media at actfoundation underscore on Instagram and Twitter and Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation on Facebook. The show is proudly powered by Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation. ActPod, our story, our continent.